Welcome to the Hook and Hunt Experience with hunting and fishing expert and host of Hook and Hunt TV, Jim Crowley, and radio host and outdoorsman, Drew Kirby. On today's show, we'll cover fishing, hunting, outdoor adventures, wild game recipes, and so much more. Brought to you by Ned's Pretty Good Garage Bait and Tackle, home of the $8.99 oil change. If you have questions, comments, or want to offer up some suggestions, reach out on Facebook at Hook and Hunt Experience. And now, here's Jim Crowley and your host, Drew Kirby. Welcome back. It's Drew and Jim. And Jim, I got to tell you, another information-filled, exciting show today. Yeah, we, we got a good one. And one of my favorite people in the outdoor industry is going to be our guest. If you're a muskie hunter, if you like to fish muskies at all, you don't want to miss this show because we have the muskie hunter in the show. We have Mr. Jim Sarek. And there's a lot of information here. He is a good guy. And I don't think anybody knows muskie better than Jim Sarek. Yeah, I'll tell you that it's going to be a fantastic uh, chat with Jim, and he's going to give us some insight on uh, the best way to catch a good muskie. Here's a guy who's caught over 100 muskies over 50 inches. If you even think that you want to go muskie fishing, this is a show you're going to want to listen to. This is the experience, and it's going to be a great experience with Jim. Now, Jim, let's uh, talk a little bit more about what's happening in in your world. I know uh, there may have been a little uh, boating accident that happened <laughs> there in in. Uh... Uh, yeah, that was thirty years, thirty years on the water, thirty plus years on the water, and that's never uh, that's never happened before. Uh, I was taken, and of course, I had my wife and my daughter with me, and I was just telling them, was pretty. This part was pretty interesting after I sat back and, and thought about it. Um, I said, you know, it, they, it was a warm day and we were getting out. Everybody just finally wanted to be out. Well, there were a lot of people out on the lake that day, obviously, as people just want to get out. And, um, and my stepdaughter actually says, I really have to wear this life jacket. It's, it's, um, she goes, it's kind of hot. I said, honey, when a big motor's running, we got to wear it. Just, just how it goes. And there's some big pleasure boats ahead of us. Well, we took a wake that I didn't, didn't expect to take. I'm looking at this one boat and I'm going to try to cross over this wake here. One hit us from the other side. It broke the lock on the trolling motor or somehow hit us just right where it released it. That's never happened to me, ever, ever, ever. That trolling motor shot up in the air. I just happened to catch it out of the corner of my eye. I put the boat in neutral. The boat came down, but the trolling motor went down in the water, and the speed of going forward pushed the trolling motor underneath the deck and shattered the shaft of the trolling motor. Oh, my gosh. The first thing I thought about is I, I reached over to the left because my wife was behind me, so I knew that wasn't a problem, and I just reached over to the left because I'm thinking if anything flies back, thank you, God. Thank God for protecting us. Nothing happened. It just totally totaled out the trolling motor. Nothing really shakes me up on the water. I've been ice fish tournaments for 15 years on big water. I've been on numerous different oceans. I've, I've Nothing really phases me. You just you plan for things. And so nothing really comes up unexpected. So we got back to the ramp and I said, do you realize that's the reason I wanted you to wear a life jacket just because the bad thing that happened there led to an experience that she won't forget. I guarantee you that girl will zip up her life jacket like she did from now on because she just saw it. So I'm very thankful that we got out of that without anything, but there was a lesson taught. Now you said that there was damage to your trolling motor. Was there damage to the boat? No, no, no damage to the boat whatsoever. Um, I drive a great boat. I drive a Miracraft. Uh, it, it's, it's built like a battleship. 
it was just a shaft and a trailer motor. My call my insurance company. You're like, no big deal. They replaced everything. I've got a great dealer in Rockford, Illinois, that's going to take care of it. But I guarantee you, as much as I always check everything on my boat, if you think I'm not going to be double checking stuff now, oh right. And, and and I looked over it. There was nothing that I did wrong or anything different. It just it just it just happened. Right. It just well, happened. And, and I was going to ask you: Is there any preventative measures you could have taken? But there obviously isn't because you didn't do anything wrong. It was locked in place. I kind of relate this to several years ago, we were filming a show up in Manitoba and my cameraman was in another boat with a guide. Well, he went to go film a fish that went to reach over the camera. The camera was on a tripod standing up in a boat. The guide moved the other way. It rocked the boat. It threw the tripod off balance. And when the tripod hit the side or the gunnel of the boat, it hit a release that is so small, but it hit it perfectly and launched a $3,000 camera into the water. It's funny now. <laughs> wasn't funny then. <laughs> I can because remember. everything was, every, yeah, you remember that. Everything remember. was in slow motion. And people have asked me, what would you have done differently? I said, I tell you what we do differently now. We don't use a tripod. I'm just telling <laughs> right. you, we don't. You know, so is there anything different when I get the new trolling motor on, if there's going to be an extra secure system or something, if I have to overdo it that I've never done before, because I never thought I needed it, rest assured, I'm going to have it. Jim, give us a a, a lesson that you learned in this situation that you will now forever uh, hold close. Well, maybe even your daughter. I I, I think it's going to be that when, because I've had people say that before, and I'll be honest, even I've been lax, you know, in years prior that, do I really need my life vest now? Do, do I not? Because, oh, I know how to drive the boat. Baloney. Don't ever think that. You're not, you're not bulletproof. Something can happen in a split second. This time I was prepared for something to happen. All I can tell you is if you don't think it can happen to you, you are setting yourself up for something to happen to you. If it takes five extra seconds, just do it. That day, yeah, maybe we weren't in any danger of anything happening, but you know what? We'll never know. And I'm glad we weren't because we were prepared. So that's what I learned. The Muskie Hunter is coming up in just a couple of minutes on the Hook and Hunt Experience. This week's Hook and Hunt Experience guest star is brought to you by Hook and Hunt TV, where our slogan is, God made me a fisherman and a hunter. I'm proud of both and apologize to no one. Watch the latest episode at hookandhunttv.com. Welcome back. It's the Hook and Hunt Experience. It's Drew along with Jim Crowley. And uh, Jim, we're bringing a guest in on this week's show that you've known for quite a while and could school you in some fishing. <laughs> he can school me in a lot of fishing when it comes to musky fishing. It's one of the guys we were talking about before we had John. This is Jim Sarek, the musky hunter. This guy, folks, I'm telling you what, I, I have learned so much from him. This is a gentleman who has caught well over 100 muskies over that 50-inch mark and is on his 15th season for the Muskie Hunter Television. Jim, thanks for joining us. Oh, anytime. This is uh, kind of a very cool format, so I'm excited about it. I remember the first time I met you probably 20, had be 20 years ago at a show in Chicago, and we were both doing stuff for Midwest Outdoors. And one of the things I learned the most, I, and I pass this on to people, I always tell them I learned this from Jim Sarek, is when it comes to doing a figure eight, And I remember seeing you doing that on the show, making a big sweep and having big fish. You do a figure eight on just about every cast. In the spring, um, what are you looking for to lead that fish? Or what what are you looking for areas for big fish? You know, early season, particularly like you're fishing now, or you're going to be fishing in the next, you know, two to three weeks, you know, musky fishing in there. 
you know, you're dealing with, you know, colder water and different, depending on where you're located, a lot of the muskies, they're either done spawning in the process of spawning somewhere there, or maybe going to spawn. It's all in the next couple of weeks. And so generally the keys to caching them, it's, it's really three things I think about. You got to find the warmest water, right? Um, any kind of shallow cover that exists and, 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 and with that, you'll get some kind of bait. So, you know, I tell people, and, and, you know, Jim, you're a big bass fisherman probably as well, that the bass guys tend to catch more muskies this time of year than <laughs> the muskie guys do. And, and that's, and it's, and that's for two reasons. Number one, because the muskies are more, are located in more quote unquote bassy scenarios, mm-hmm. right there. You know I mean? This time of year, you don't have big lush weed beds that are there. So the fish are cruising along the bank. Maybe you got some dead vegetation from last year. You got a fallen tree. You've got a, a little pile of rocks or projection, anything that's different. Those muskies relate to those. And in areas like channels, they're mm-hmm. going to be in between lakes, whatever, or side channels, they're going to be the warm and hold the warmest water. And the muskies are there with them, you know, where a lot of guys are bass fishing this year. So, you know, that's really important, I think, is thinking about finding, going to some of the channels, going to some of the wind-protected, isolated bays that are going to be the warmest. And uh, from there, that's the, probably the number one thing I, I think about. Um, and then any any type of shallow cover. You know, I am I am fishing trees. I'm fishing docks. Uh, you know, any anything near there, that's the kind of stuff that I'm going to locate them. So, you know, I'm going to try that. And then on the flip side, a lot of times when the muskies are done spawning, you're always going to have a lot of fish that stay there, but you're going to have another group of muskies that in some lakes will actually pull out to the basin and suspend in the basin when they're done spawning. So they're not going to be related to shallow cover. They're close to it. They're in the deep end, but they're going to be high in the water column, maybe in their top 10 or 15 foot over 30 or 40, 50 foot of water. They'll suspend high particularly if you've got a lake that's got shad in it or schools of crappies or whatever that may be there. So you're going to get some muskies. They're going to do that too. So location wise is that's kind of where I'm looking for. Let me ask you this. I, I, um, there's a lake right by me in central Illinois here called evergreen and it's got a lot of big muskies in it. And, um, I've lost spinner baits, bladed jigs, <laughs> have your line blowing in the air because, uh, you know, you come off the end of a laydown and muskie just grab the bait. Years ago, I was trying to, another reservoir down here called Shelbyville, which I, I'm sure you know about. And yeah. I was trying to talk to Steve Quinn from, from InFish years ago about um, trying to position some bass on these deeper points. And they were there one day and then they were gone the next. And I kept asking them, like, I just, on this reservoir, I cannot seem to position these fish with, with any consistency. First question he asked me is he goes, are there muskies in there? And I said, <laughs> yeah. And he goes, they will have a tendency to move fish around because what, what basically when you come right about down to it, to muskies, bass are food as well, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not like that muskies are feeding heavily on bass, but they're a predator and they're going to, they're definitely going to impact that for sure. And, and uh, you know, and, and so you, you know, you're going to have some of that that's going to go on. I mean, they're going to, they're going to move around and, and you just kind of, kind of relate to them. What kind of source of water source are you going to find more musky in? Is it, is there a certain type of uh, lake or reservoir that you're going to find them in? You know, it, it's tough to say because, you know, muskies are in 36 of the 50 states, which is kind of crazy to think about. And and uh, and throughout the you know lower Midwest and other areas, there have been lots of muskies that have been placed on, um, you know, that have gone and have done, you know, that are 
you know, they're in reservoirs and in different lakes that have been stocked throughout the years. So there's lots of places that have them. I mean, I prefer this time of year, a lot of the lakes I fish are a little more shallow, a little more stained. Um, I'll fish those early season because they're going to warm the fastest. I also am going to fish uh, some of the reservoirs with shad. It seems like those reservoirs where you have shad in them, mm -hmm. the muskies tend to be, you know, the shad swim pretty quickly, you know, active earlier. And, and you can catch them on more traditional baits earlier in some of those reservoirs. It's just one of those things. And, and then likewise, there's a few lakes I fish, like some of the ones in Indiana, there are some clear lakes, but they've got a huge amount of suspended forage, a lot of shad in them. And so um, even though they're clear with this, with the shad base forage base in there, you can still catch them early. Are you still throwing bucktails that time of year or are you going with really, really big baits? How do you start your season when you load the boat up and you're going somewhere in the Midwest from muskies? What are a couple of the lures that you have tied on as your search baits ones you're going to try to home in on with? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Jim. You know, I, I think that generally I'm fishing smaller baits. You okay. know, it's not that I don't bring some big stuff along, but like, you know, I'm in fact, I'm just packing for a trip next week. And um and, and, you know, and, and it's one of my first ones of the year. And so what am I going to bring? So to give you an idea, I fish, uh, I fish a lot of the, the glider jerk baits, mm -hmm. like a, um, you know, a Navin round nose or a shum drop belly glide bait. It's a jerk bait that can go side to side and it glides mm -hmm. through the water. So I fish some of those cause I can fish them, you know, I can throw it up near a tree and make it, you know, dark sure. side to side or stop it in front of it at the edge of it. Um, I can, I can work it around any kind of pockets of cover. Um, with that. So I fish those a lot. I fish a lot of minnow baits, a lot of five inch and seven inch minnow baits that, you know, a lot of the bass guys call them jerk baits, you know, but right. you call them minnow baits. So you can twitch around cover, uh, you know, five and seven inch shallow raiders. I fish a lot of those this time of year. Um, I, when I'm fishing spinners, I might fish a, uh, you know, let's say a, a shorter five inch, you know, musky frenzy inline spinner, or I might fish a, a spinner bait. This is a great mm -hmm. time to fish you know, one and a half ounce, you know, to two ounce spinnerbait um, in there because I can fish it slower and just above the cover where I can make some cover collisions with the spinnerbait, but fish it slower. Um, those are some of the things. Now, if I got uh, some, you know, and what else? I, I might throw in any other, you know, like a crankbait, like a, a smaller five inch depth raider, mm -hmm. uh, swim bait, you know, Poseidon, something like that. So, but generally smaller stuff, a lot of it, you know, four to six inches in length. Um, I'm throwing that even the the soft plastics. I'm not fishing a regular full size Medusa all the time unless I'm fishing the basin. I might throw a mini Medusa, something that's smaller because I'm throwing up to cover in the colder water. And a lot of the forage is generally smaller around there. And and that that just ups your odds. Now, sure. I guess the one thing I would tell you is on any given day, if you get a warming trend and and the fish seem active, you know, that's when I'm going to bring out some of the bigger baits. Or if I'm fishing in open water, I might throw more traditional larger size musky baits just to get them noticed. Now, those, those muskies are spawned, post-spawn, they go in the summer. Is that when you start upsizing your lures to like bucktails and things like that, especially the farther north you go? Yeah, I mean, is it, you know, I would say that when the water temperature starts to hit around 65, mm -hmm. so the muskies are spawning in that 52 to 60 range, you know, kind of when the bass are done spawning, you know, in a lot of lakes, they, they start, all the lakes start to ramp up, you know, you're ending that spring, getting more in the summer kind of thing. And that's when I'm throwing a lot more of my traditional musky baits as the water starts to warm up. Usually it's been, you know, a, you know, a couple of weeks after the spawn, mm -hmm. you know, and then when you start to get warmer, warmer days and a little bit warmer evenings, that's when I'm going to go to the bigger baits. 
months. When's your favorite time to to fish muskies? What what part of the year is your favorite? Yeah, for me, for me, it's summer. I, I mean, it really is. I mean, I love from July and August, or from middle of June till you know July and August. I really like those those months. You know, those are some of my favorite. Right up, you know, up till around Labor Day, because I, I love I love the long days. I love the fact that it's warm and more stable. Um, the fish, because the water's warmer, the fish have to feed more. And so when you do get a feeding window, it's longer. It's not mm-hmm. a short, intense window. You might get multiple feeding windows throughout the day, the long day. I also hate that the days are longer, but you know, <laughs> overall, you know, I you know I'm a fan, you know, I mean, and, and so, you know, to me, musky fishing, I just love, I always live and dream about fishing in summer, fishing the evenings in the summer, kind of that after dinner, the last, oh, yeah two to three hours of light going into dark. It's my favorite time of year to fish. And that's my favorite musky fishing thing. Now, yeah, I love the fall and that's great. I've caught some of my biggest muskies in the fall that are the heaviest, but you know, the reality is fall musky fishing, the, the feeding windows, the time when the fish bite could be, you know, a half hour or a one hour period throughout an eight hour day or, you know, that you've got, and it might be in one or one spot or two spots. So you really have to pick the right spot. You got to fish slower. Uh, you're much, the fish are much more susceptible to weather events that go on. Whereas in the summer, they kind of tend to bounce back, you know, from a front here and there and uh, they have to feed because the water's warm and they're much more active. And, and, uh, you know, so to me, you know, I, I love this, love the summer months. So Jim, uh, where can people find out more information about the musky hunter, about your show, about everything that you're doing? You know, if you go to muskyhuntertv.com, you can find it. You can, you know, go to the same place. You can look at look us up on Facebook, on on Instagram, all the social media sites from there. You can see that. But uh, if you go to the television show, that's great. You know, we also have a a musky hunter television app that's pretty cool that you can download for free, and you can see episodes on there. We've got this really cool activity gauge on, on the app that actually brings in things like moon and pulls in your local weather from wherever you're at and, and about 22 different factors that go into impacting musky behavior. And I've got a friend of mine, a couple guys that I've worked with that are math guys and they put it all into some algorithm and it predicts the number and it's pretty cool cool. to see how it works. It's kind of a fun thing. And then it also has, it's got great weather stuff and moons, when's the moon going to rise, all that stuff as well. But it's a, it's a, it's a fun little tool to play with. And again, it's free. So why not check it out? If, uh, if you're going around Indiana or Illinois or anywhere in the Midwest, have you used that part of the app to really define where you're going to fish and when you're going to fish during your trip? Yeah. You know what I, what's interesting to me is that it's, it's fun seeing how predictable it can be. I mean, it doesn't work every time, right? I, I mean, I'm not here to, you know, I'm not selling snake oil, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, one of those things, but, but, you know, um, muskies being kind of an apex predator, top predator, sure. they, they are definitely influenced by weather a real lot. And they're mm-hmm. influenced by the moon as well. When the moon rises and sets or directly overhead runner, all those things really impact when they want to bite. So, you know, they don't know the moon's going to rise or set ahead of time, but we know, right? So we can use those tools to kind of predict, like I wake up every morning, you know, I turn up, look at my app, I turn on the sonar and I'm like, what time is the moon going to rise or set today? And you know, what's, or when's it going to be over my head or under my feet? And then I'll look on the app and it's say, Hey, you know, it looks like there's going to be a a high activity period at, 
at noon today, as an example. Well, I'm going to make sure that I'm fishing and not sitting in having lunch at noon. Right. You know, during that time. Or if I have a couple follows from fish or I see a big fish, I'm going to go back on that spot right at noon. So, and, and it's, you know, and I've had it work, you know, all throughout the country and throughout Canada. And I've got a lot of stories of people who've sent me photos from it. It's, you know, again, I've got some people who tell me, no, it doesn't work. It's crazy, <laughs> crazy you know, from there. Um, but, uh, you know, but it's, but it's one of those things that it can help you predict fish. And likewise, you know, when you know that fishing is not going to be good, you look at the gauge and you say, you know what, it's predicting bad all day. Anything can happen, number one. But it also kind of helps me, you know, with my, as I start fishing some spots, let's say you're fishing a lake that you fish a lot and you fish your top three or four spots and nothing's going on and you get in a couple hours like, all right, this is not going to be a day where I'm catching four or five. I'm trying to right. get a bite or two and I don't care what type of fish you're fishing for. We've all had those days where all of a sudden it's like, all right, I have to grind it out. So, and just try to get a couple bites. And that's when, you know, you pick a couple spots and you really kind of camp on them and really switch baits and try to know, okay, the fish live in these couple spots. Let me see that sometime throughout the day, I'm going to get a bite or two and that's how you catch them. And musky fishing's about spots and the more odds you put in your favor, and if you put them on on your best spots like that, your chances are going to rise. It doesn't mean it's going to happen all the time, but the odds are better. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, that's a, that's a great thing. Well, Jim, we sure appreciate it, man. Thanks for being on the show with us. And Drew, we need to get that app because that way when we, we, we're going to go, this is the app right here that's going to tell us how bad that we're doing. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> hey, any advantage I can get, I'm all about, you know? That's good. Hey, thanks, buddy. We appreciate it. Thank you. We'll see you later. Thanks, Jim. Bye. Here's your hook and hunt experience look back with the Moxie Dog Treats Outdoor History Minute. All right, Jim. So uh, history uh, has a funny way of repeating itself, but I don't know that this has ever been uh, done in history. And I thought I should bring it up because, of course, uh, turkey season is wrapping up for most most areas. And in Springfield, Missouri, which, you know, we love Springfield. That's down around where uh, Branson is and... And where Bass cool area. Shop yep. is, a hunter in Missouri that was out doing some turkey hunting was attacked by a bobcat <laughs> while he was sitting there uh, calling in turkeys. He was okay. such a good caller that the the noise got the attention of a large male bobcat, and it <laughs> it pounced on his head. The conservation agent, uh, the other guy didn't want his name announced, but the guy says Obviously. that he, the hunter felt a crash on his shoulder <laughs> and his head as if he were being attacked. The hunter fought off and shot the bobcat. All right. There you go. There, that's what you call being well armed and right to the moment. There you yeah. Go. Uh, the, the poor hunter had to go to the hospital. <laughs> And have uh, stitches and uh, some uh, medical attention on his head because the bobcat. Uh, I, I don't know why I find this so funny, but I can, I'm, I'm picturing, I'm picturing somebody sitting there in the woods and just having, you know, and having a bobcat attack you. Yeah. And you don't see them very often as it is. I've seen two in all my years outdoors and this guy's got the luck that one pounces on his head. The bobcat thought the hunter was a turkey, said the conservation <laughs> spokesperson. 
<laughs> Whatever sound he was making was good enough that it fooled the bobcat. <laughs> it, that it fooled the nearsighted bobcat. <laughs> so uh, there's your your history moment, Jim, because I don't uh, think I've ever heard of anything like that. That I let that one gave me a headache. Oh, that's funny. In the outdoor world, there's always something new, and here's a hook and hunt experience product review presented by Crowley's Crawlers, the plastic worms that make sure you're hauling in the limit every time. Well, uh, hopefully we can get by the Bobcat story here and uh, and move on down the line, but you have to always be ready for any situation when you're out in the woods, especially if you're turkey hunting and you get attacked by a bobcat because you're such a good turkey caller. You, you can't you can't make this stuff up. You just can't. Uh, if you're hunting, if you're fishing, if you're in the outdoors, it's always good to be prepared. And they start teaching you that as Boy Scouts. Always be prepared. And, Jim, the product this week is one of those products that if you have it, you're prepared. Yeah, and, and I came across this last year, and it's from a, a company called Angler Aid. I, you can find them on social media. Just look up Angler Aid. But what a great idea um, this is. It's basically your, your, your standard tackle box size that you would put in your boat, but it comes with everything. I'm looking at it right here, and, and I have it in my boat now. Everything from suntan lotion to Band-Aids to duct tape to a multi-purpose pliers to a first aid kit to um, sunburn treatment, to a flashlight, to a multi-purpose tool, to paracord, everything in there. And it's all in one, it's all in one case. Now I will tell you something. I got this at ICAST last year, put in a boat and thought, you know, now at least I'm finally prepared. It's all the stuff you always wanted, but you always think when you're about, oh, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And you never did it. Well, they put everything in this box for you. And then earlier this year when we were filming a show, um, actually had a hook run through my finger and then a fin of a white bass at the same time. I'm bleeding like a stuck pig out there. And I, I literally was just like, oh, I was messing up the floor of the boat, everything. It didn't hurt. I'm more aggravated, you know, than anything. So I, I cut the barb off the hook, pull the hook out. No, no big deal. And I'm still bleeding. So I, I think about, Hey, I got that angler aid kit or kit in a boat. So I pull that out and there's a spray in there. Uh, and I sprayed this on my finger and the blood starts to slow down. I clean it off with the gauze pad that they have in there, put a bandaid on. I mean, within, it took me longer to open up the package of band-aids, which was 40 seconds. And it did to stop the bleeding and do oh, everything. Wow. It was, it was, it was fantastic. Everything was there. And I will tell you this, when we were in Florida last year at ICAST. My wife got some of those chigger bites or no bites on her leg and it was burning up. We had some of that angler aid spray that they come in about. She sprayed it on there, took the burn away immediately wow. i am telling you i don't folks i don't work for angler aid i don't um but this is a kit if like i said go to angler aid on social media on facebook or instagram and of course when you have a product like that to familiarize yourself with everything that is in that kit so that if the problem right. arises you know what's going on yeah it's fantastic it's um it's a see-through box that they put everything in so you can see where everything is as you're opening it um, plus it comes with a flashlight and a multi-purpose tool. Yeah, just, you know, good product is a good product. And AnglerAid, they got one. HookingOnTV.com has been educating and entertaining the world of hunting and fishing for years. Let's find out about the latest from Hook and Hunt TV's Jim Crowley on the Hook and Hunt Experience. 
We are here because one day back in 2009, Jim Crowley and I, uh, we met and we thought, hey, let's start this show. Uh, you already had HookingOnTV.com, and that's where the Hooking On experience is coming from. And so we like to reflect back on the show that got us to where we are, and you're still going strong there at Hooking on TV. Sure, yeah, we've uh, it, you know it's broadened into so many more things. I actually have a, a small production company now, which is Jim Crowley Outdoors, and so you know we do video work and voiceovers and and make videos for companies. I actually just got done making one today before we did this, and so yeah, it's it's branched out quite a bit, and you know no better place to to be and work than in the great USA because opportunities are are immense and Absolutely. Uh, thank God for, thank God for that. Now, every week you don't do a new show from hooking on TV.com, but you mix that in with Facebook live videos where you're still right. giving all kinds of tips and showing people what you do in the outdoors. Yeah. And the recent one we just had, I had a fun one. And I, I'll tell you what, I, I love doing the live stuff because it's interaction with the audience and it's, it's fun and you can, they can comment, you know, there, and you can try to answer back as best as you can. Or even when the episode is over, um, I will, I will answer all their questions. I don't care how many there is or comments or whatever, um, or people taking their time to say hi. This week we did j different jigs and jig trailers. So we went over between heavy cover jigs and swim jigs and bladed jigs and just a jig head itself. We, we did, and I went through a mass of trailers that I use, why and how, depending on water clarity and water temperature. And it was really well received because a lot of people went, hey, I use that. Or, hey, I didn't think of that. I'm going to try that. You know, and, and jigs are basically in, pretty inexpensive in most cases of, of, of things to use. But even if a guy can add another trailer or add another, add something else to his arsenal, that's what's so fun about that is because the audience can interact with that and then they share it. And so then we'll get questions or comments from other people. So if you like to throw a jig like I do, and it's for just about every species of fish that swims, and obviously in this one, we're concentrating on largemouth and smallmouth. This was a really good thing. And you can find all the Hook and Hunt TV lives. You can either find on the Pride Outdoor Network, which is on Amazon and Roku, or you can just go to the Hook and Hunt TV Facebook page, look on the video section. You can see everything there from rod making to lure selection and anything like that. And if you ever want to see something on there, just comment to Drew and I on the Hook and Hunt Experience page. If we use an idea of yours, I bet we can probably figure out how to send you something. Nice. Just because. Just because. Just because. Hey, one of the greatest things I ever did is went and visited Crowley and I came home with about $200 worth of lures. And I didn't get the check for that. <laughs> That's right, <Yeah>. you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> get over and check it out. Uh, of course, hookingontv.com. Here's the latest Hook and Hunt experience hunting and fishing scouting report. Brought to you by the Tackle Box Bar and Grill, where the stories are as big as the fish baskets and beer. The Tackle Box Bar and Grill, downtown Fish Creek, Wisconsin. Well, Jim, we're getting closer and closer to summer. It's hard to to really think that because it's been such a weird year, but huh. uh, we are just one month out from it being summertime. And how are we looking on the fishing, uh, the fishing world? Well, if, if the, in the Midwest, anyway, if the weather would clear up, it would, it's probably going to go really, really fast. And, you know, even talking, even talking to Jimmy Sarek about, you know, musky fishing, everything was just a little bit behind. And that's just how things are going to be this year until the weather stays stable for, uh, for a period of time. So just because people are thinking, Hey, last year I caught him doing this. 
doesn't mean that that's going to happen this year. Water temperatures are still pretty cold. I just got back from, you know, from Sturgeon Bay and fishing was good, but water was really cold. I, I really had to drop down to some smaller baits and really slow my presentations to catch those big smallmouth. It's just not, it just wasn't where it was last year or the year before. It's just weather. The weather is what the weather is. The worst mistake I think people can make, and I've been guilty of this in the past too, but don't rely on past history when the conditions are different. When the conditions are the same, past history is always a good starting point. When conditions are different, past history is the first place you can go wrong. So make sure that you adjust every time. And this year with things being a little bit slower, I'm still working my bait slow. I'm still checking what the water clarity is, depending on the species of fish that I'm fishing for. And you just have to adjust. If you're one who kept records like I used to keep all the time, make sure that you get this down because Sometimes somewhere down the road, we're going to have another spring like this, but it may not be next year. It may not be for two or three years. Don't ever history fish. That's the best thing that I can always tell people when conditions like this are tough. Don't think that what happened last year is going to work this year because chances are it won't. Just adapt. Use the lures and presentations that affect the fish of what they're doing now, not how you caught them last year. The Hook and Hunt Experience wants you to live well from the live well. Here's your old buddy. Stinkbait Rivers. Hey, it's your old buddy Stinky, and uh, this week I'm talking to you from Baptist Hospital in beautiful Houston, Texas, where my brother Ernie Rivers has uh, been a little under the weather, and he had to go in for some tests, and uh, he had been in the hospital for a couple days, and they had him sedated, and he wasn't able to move, so they sent one of those nurses in to come and give him a sponge bath. The nurse came in, and she said, hello, Mr. Rivers, I'm here to take care of you and, and wash you up, and she, he said, well, that'd be nice. The nurse, uh, the nurse started washing his chest and, and was moving down to his feet there. And he said, well, nurse, could you tell me, are my testicles black? And she, she said, well, uh, Mr. Rivers, I'm only here to wash your chest and your feet. He said, well, I, I, I understand. He says, but could you please tell me, are my testicles black? And she said, well, sir, I, I, that's not really my job. He, he said, nurse, please just tell me, are my testicles black? So the nurse reluctantly kind of lifted up his hospital gown and took a gander under there and reached in there and examined them pretty good. He, she says, well, no, sir. She says, they're just as pink and pretty as can be. And my brother moved his face mask down. He says, nurse, thank you. That was, that was very nice. I appreciate you doing that for me. But I was asking, are my test results back? <laughs> and I guess we all have those kind of confusions during a pandemic. It's your old buddy Stinky. We'll see you next time right here on the Hook and Hunt Experience. Or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash stinkbaitrivers. We'll see y'all next time. Until then, you betcha. We can't leave you high and dry. Here are some words of wisdom in the last cast with Jim Crowley on the Hook and Hunt Experience. Life always gives us opportunities. And, and opportunities may not be exactly what we want. Sometimes we're faced with hardships. Sometimes we're faced with blessings. The best thing you can do on either one of those, in my opinion, and I've always been an optimist. I never look at the glass as half full. I look at the glass as an opportunity to see how much better I can make it. In other words, let's fill that glass all the way up. I've had some, just like other people have, we've had some things that we just didn't count on. Instead of being down and out about that, let's try to figure out what we can learn from that and how we can make ourselves better or make opportunities better for us in the future. What I'm telling you is when we react to things, that's how the situations turn out. If we have a bad reaction to it, it's gonna turn out bad. If we have a good reaction to it, it's gonna turn out good. The worst situation sometimes you can learn things from. 
whatever happens to any of us, one way or the other, we're going to be able to get through. We may be able to get through it with pain. We may be able to get through it with joy. But I gosh darn guarantee you, in America, and with each other's support, we will. I promise you, we will get through it. Thanks for stopping by the show. Head over to the Hook and Hunt Experience on Facebook and give us a like and find out more about this week's show. The Hook and Hunt Experience is brought to you by HookandHuntTV.com. Stop by and watch the latest episodes airing now. Moxie Dog Treats. Your dog will love you. And brought to you by Crawley's Crawlers. The plastic worms that make sure you're hauling in the limit every time. And the Tackle Box Bar and Grill where the stories are as big as the fish baskets and beer. Join us next week for the next episode of the Hook and Hunt Experience.